This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Afternoon, everyone, on this uh, beautiful Friday afternoon. Lots of people hitting the highway, of course. Be careful out there. Take your time. Be patient. And think safety throughout the course of this long holiday weekend. Well, it is the Labor Day weekend, a time when people get to enjoy that last long weekend of summer. And the weather looks great in most parts of the province this weekend as people hit the road for their cabins or make a trip around the bay or out on the water or just sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Well, we can thank the labor movement for this coming holiday Monday, but it goes well beyond that. Here to discuss the importance of Labor Day, the benefits of the labor movement and and what they have fought for over the years, and some of the ongoing challenges uh, is none other than president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Labor, Mary Shortle. Hello. Hi, Linda. Happy Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day weekend to you, too. So how is the weekend being marked here in Newfoundland and Labrador this year? Well, uh, there are always uh, Labor Day activities that happen right across the province. Some are uh, informal, some are more formal. The Labor Councils uh, on the West Coast and in Labrador and St. John's and Central Newfoundland are organizing events uh, that happen that day. But lots of people just take the weekend to uh, have that last uh, last haul before uh, fall starts and school starts. But it's a really important day for all of us because it is a day where we celebrate uh, our work and celebrate where we've been and celebrate the wins that the that workers do and the strength of, of workers in making the economy run. So it's uh, no matter what we do, it's a really good day to just say, you know, the world can't work without workers, and it's a day to celebrate that. And we also recognize and celebrate the benefits that unionization has brought to uh, the lives of all working families uh, right across the world. So there's lots to celebrate, and uh, nice that it's a nice, uh, warm weekend uh, planned as well because people really get to, to sit down and say, you know, I deserve this weekend off. I worked, I worked particularly hard over the last two and a half years, uh, but uh, but we work hard to make uh, to make work work for everybody. Haven't we all? It, it has been a slog, hasn't it? Yeah, the last uh, well, almost two and a half years now, almost three years have been very, very difficult for a lot of people. And uh, as you alluded to at the beginning, there are still. Uh, many challenges there and our position obviously has always been that um, we need to invest in workers and we need a worker-centered recovery as we come out of this because it won't work without workers and now given the extraordinary uh, high cost of living increases that we're seeing uh, workers and and especially uh, lower wage workers but all workers are feeling the pinch and it's harder and harder these days uh, for working families to make ends meet and so our work continues um, to uh, to impress upon employers and governments uh, the benefits of putting workers at the center of this recovery. And uh, that will be, I think, our challenge going into uh, this fall as we come out of that. And, and we can't any longer uh, blame workers for things like inflation. We know that there's other factors 
happening out there. We know that there's extraordinarily high profits being made by supermarket chains, for example, by oil and gas industry, uh, by big corporate businesses. And so we need to uh, regroup, I think, and figure out how we're going to uh, turn those extraordinary profits Uh, like the United Nations uh, Secretary General said, into uh, things that will help the working families who are struggling right now. So what do you mean exactly by a worker-centered recovery? Well, I mean, we know there can't be recovery without workers. And we also know that, you know, employers uh, are saying there's shortages uh, of workers and that workers don't uh, don't necessarily want to go back to work. Uh, But when... When the situation merits, so for example, we see what's happening in the labor market, when uh, workers are low paid and when we've seen the the things that have been exposed through the pandemic, the, the value of the work that certain people do, the erosion of labor standards over the year and, and even minimum employment standards over the years and things that aren't missing. So, for example, uh, during the pandemic, we, we understood that frontline workers and essential workers saw us through that. We could not have survived uh, that pandemic without that. And yet, Yet, uh, we've also discovered throughout the pandemic that the people that do a lot of that essential work uh, uh, that saw us through that pandemic are uh, underpaid, undervalued. Uh, workers didn't have the uh, protection in labor law uh, of some um, things like paid sick work days, employer paid sick days. Uh, they had to make those tough choices. Uh, they were the ones we applauded throughout the whole pandemic. And now there, there are lots of families and increasingly more families in, in light of this are seeing uh, it harder and harder to make ends meet. And so our position has been that governments and employers have to invest back into those workers. And we have to look at how do we invest in workers and in the, the public services that we all need? How do we look at our labor market and our labor force and look at what we need going forward and take what we're hearing from workers themselves and what we're seeing as a result of those gaps that have been exposed during the pandemic and put those into strong uh, policies and laws that empower workers and uh, empower them to go forward. One of those things, obviously, is to make it easier for workers to join unions, because we do know that unions have been beneficial for all workers throughout our history, right from the uh, 1870s when the the first Labor Day parade happened uh, because workers were striking for shorter work weeks. Uh, We know that the things that we take for granted today, like holidays and safe workplaces, uh, our benefits, unemployment insurance, the hours of work, the weekend, as a matter of fact, the the ability to have two days off together on the weekend, uh, maternity leave, pensions, there's so many things, vacations that all workers uh, have a minimum uh, access to under the current labor laws. But those policies and laws were fought very hard by unions because they are the organizations that speak on behalf of workers. And so uh, I think it's really important that we acknowledge today that uh, unions uh, – Unions, workers who are paid well through through unions, especially unionized workers, and who enjoy that job security, they can afford to pay taxes uh, that 
support the growth of public services, the schools and roads and clean water and, and all the services and uh, public services that we enjoy, and that everyone benefits from the existence of unions and good jobs. And so even if workers are not unionized, uh, there there is a demand that workers uh, be paid fairly, have decent work, have safety in the workplace. Our world of work is changing a lot these days. We know that. Uh, and some workers don't even fit into the, the minimum labor standards that exist today. And so that that's what we mean about putting workers first to look at the people who actually create the profits that make our economy uh, work and to make sure that we narrow those gaps uh, in pay gaps. We narrow the uh, gaps uh, between uh, the various groups of workers. For example, marginalized workers in our society uh, are often disproportionately disadvantaged in the labor force. Uh, and look at solutions that work. If we have a problem in the labor force, for example, what do we do to increase that? What do we do to ensure that workers stay here uh, and they live and they work here, not temporarily, but permanently, and that they're uh, contributing to our society and they're part of uh, of the overall um, economy and not just in and out. Yeah. So there's, there's a whole lot of issues there, obviously. Uh, but there's uh, there's an opportunity, I think. We have a, a really good opportunity now uh, while we're still facing crises, not, not as we come out of the pandemic, which still exists, but we still have a crisis in employment. We have a climate crisis. We have a, a jobs crisis. We have an uh, equality crisis. So how do we sit down together and look at a, a worker-led or a worker-informed uh, solutions that that we uh, seriously think will work to help create a better economy and help move us forward into those jobs that we know are going to we're going to need a workforce for in the future. Our guest today on this Labor Day weekend is President of the Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Labor, Mary Shortle. We'll be back right after this. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, five thirty to nine a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Labor. And we're all enjoying the long Labor Day weekend this weekend. Mary Shortle, uh, you mentioned earlier employers uh, paid sick days. And it, it struck me when you said that. And I was wondering how much has COVID forced change in the workplace? I'm thinking in terms of employer paid sick days and, and flexibility and work-life balance. Well, I think I think what we've learned through the pandemic, that's a really good question and really good uh, observation, because I think what we saw throughout the pandemic, that there is a lot of things uh, that have been exposed that have created uh, hardships for workers over many years. They weren't caused by the pandemic, but I think during uh, the pandemic, we actually saw that. So you had... Uh, erosion of employment standards, uh, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador, but everywhere in the country over periods of time, uh, where today's world of work doesn't quite match the, the outdated labor laws that are there. So we have workers who work very precarious jobs now. Uh, they, we have workers who work in the gig economy. We have uh, workers who can't uh, make full-time hours, and their hours are not stable, especially in the, the lower-wage uh, jobs. 
And uh, so they, they're struggling to make ends meet. Some of them have to work two or three jobs. A lot of them are uh, maybe single parents, and they find it uh, extremely expensive to, uh, if they can find childcare spaces, to pay for childcare spaces. And I think all those things have, have become uh, exposed during the pandemic, uh, as well as years of, of cuts to some of our public services and our public uh, uh, programs that help us weather those storms. We saw what happened at the EI program, for example, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't meet the needs that was happening. And if there was not that investment uh, by the federal government through uh, relief payments, uh, the economy could not have survived by that. But we've also seen what years of uh, cutbacks to our health care system, both federally and provincially, uh, has done. So workers, workers have paid uh, an enormous price for that. And th- we found during the pandemic that there were many workers who were getting sick or feeling sick or looking after sick uh, family members, but they they still had to come to work because they couldn't afford to lose that one uh, pay shift. The other thing we also saw was that a disproportionate of workers who were uh, who lost their jobs uh, during the pandemic were ones who worked in lower wage uh, positions, and we know that marginalized workers are more discri- are more disproportionately discriminated uh, by holding those low wage works, and they were the first of the people to lose their jobs, and a lot of them didn't get their jobs back. So we have you know, an anomaly: we have high unemployment rates. Uh, and we have uh, a labor shortage of, uh, of sorts. So those are the things I think that our labor standards and our labor laws are not addressing. And pay sick days is one very uh, important one, but it's not the only one. There, are, there are workers that don't fall under uh, minimum standards anymore uh, because of the definition of the work that they do. Um, there are workers who are, are um, disproportionately underpaid. Uh, women are one, and we saw that, especially uh, those who work in the care economy. But not all women uh, are disproportionately uh, disadvantaged the same way. We see that you know marginalized workers, workers of color, uh, indigenous, black, uh, people with disabilities, our 2S, LGBTQ, 2I plus uh, population. There, there are many uh, levels of workers who um, are really having a hard time through this. I was reading uh, not that long ago about the increased use of food banks, and it's uh, it's a very uh, staggering additional number of people who are using food banks now, and a lot of them work, still work, but they just can't afford uh, to feed their own families. And it's interesting when we've seen that the price of groceries uh, is going up around $1,000 a year for families, and yet the grocery stores uh, are making profits in excess of $900 million uh, just in one quarter. So there's there's an imbalance here that we've, we've We've known has existed for a long time, but it seems to be exasperated during the pandemic. Uh, and those are the things we need to address. We also the cost of, of gas, the cost of food, the cost of living, the cost of rent, the availability of housing. All these issues have become uh, even more urgent to deal with. And yet, even though we have, uh, we still, unlike the rest of the country, we still have a high level of unemployment. People still seem to not be able to get the jobs they need to make ends meet. And so the the shortage of jobs then becomes uh, the shortage of decent work. And uh, when the labor market is short, 
traditionally those uh, jobs would pay more, but we're not seeing that. The, the, even the recent rise in the minimum wage is not nearly keeping up with inflation. Workers' wages are not nearly keeping up with inflation. And those jobs that uh, people are um, are saying that are in, in abundance uh, are not jobs where there's full-time work. They're not jobs that have uh, stable work hours. They're not jobs that uh, a lot of people can take and still make ends meet. So it's about uh, looking at those laws, like employment standards, and seeing uh, what is it that we need to change in order to give workers uh, uh, a more decent living, uh, a safer workplace, decent work hours, fair wages, uh, and uh, and put more money in their pockets. Something else I read not too long ago from an economist uh, uh, with the Atkinson Foundation is that what really drives the economy is when people have money to spend. Consumer uh, consumerism actually drives our, our problems with the economy. So if people have more money in their pockets and they're able to spend that money uh, in the economy, and we know they spend it, uh, especially lower-wage workers tend to spend all of their wages in the local economy, then that creates jobs, that creates more tax revenue, that creates more business, and that actually helps um, will help deal with some of those issues. So the answer is not to raise uh, the interest rates and to, to keep wages stagnant, the answer from our point of view is that you need to invest more in workers. You need to uh, pay them more decently. You need to have safer workplaces. You need to uh, find uh, a way to address those issues to make sure that workers are trained for the jobs of the future and that they can tr- transition into new jobs. Um, so, how, but how do you address the, the the labor crunch? You were talking about creating more jobs, but we have lots of jobs out there that can't be filled. We're seeing it all the time, and and um, uh, you know, COVID is a big part of that because it gave some people pause to say, you know what, I'm looking at a change in my life now. I don't know if I want to be at this anymore. And we're talking about you know people of a certain age, I would imagine, who can uh, who have managed to who can make those changes in their lives. If you know what I'm saying. Um, so uh, now we're left with workplaces that just can't seem to fill positions. And the people that are left are are struggling to keep businesses going on their own. How do you attract more labor? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a job shortage or there, people are saying there's a labor shortage. And that's been uh, an issue, I guess, right across the whole world as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, the, the one reality as well is that the, there's a, a fair number of baby boomers who are leaving the workforce by um, by three years from now that anyone who was born in 1960 or earlier will be 65 or older. So uh, there, there's a lot of people uh, leaving the workforce. And we've been talking about this. This is not a new issue uh, that, that, that there's been warnings about labor shortages because of sheer demographics for a long time. This has been an issue that uh, we've been talking about. But what we're seeing now as we come out of the pandemic is that there's, there's not so much a, a labor shortage as there is a decent job shortage. So you have uh, workers who just cannot go to work 
and make not enough money to be able to pay their bills still. If you can't pay for the gas to drive to your job, which is only paying you minimum wage and you're only getting 15 hours a week and and you're not sure when those hours are to begin with, so you don't know what you're going to do with your children when you find out at the last minute you have to go to work in the nighttime, for example. So the the problem is there's a shortage of decent jobs. There's a shortage of decent pay. And the reality is there's a shortage of decent employers who are, are willing to to make those changes so the fact that the labor market is shrinking anyway because of the demographics of our our world um, employers are looking for other other ways of fixing it instead of addressing what they really need to do and that's to provide higher wages benefits decent work safer work a fairer pay and benefits and uh, and full time work and people will take those jobs and uh, those are those are the, the part of the problem that that we're trying to talk to governments and decision makers and employers uh, about doing because that's where those issues are when people have that money in their pocket uh, when they do take those jobs it will stimulate the economy. But instead, what a lot of employers are trying to do is, for example, bring in temporary foreign workers to solve a problem. Well, that doesn't really solve the problem. Uh, you know, if we look through our history, when we've had shortages of workers, uh, we've brought in people, sure, but they're permanent residents who come in and they live here and they're part of the social fabric uh, of our economy and our communities. And there's infrastructure put in place, both social infrastructure through through our public uh, services and physical infrastructure and supports to support people coming in. There's lots of, I mean, I think we have to look at it a little bit more holistically. You know, we, we offer, um, we bring temporary foreign workers in or if we uh, don't, tax the excess windfall profits, for example, of these big corporations, that money doesn't stay in the province. It doesn't put more money in people's pockets. Uh, when temporary foreign workers come into our province, they're, they're not even covered by any labor protection. And so their rights aren't, aren't guaranteed. And so there's a whole host of other issues. So better to sit down and look at how do you invest in the services that we need to maintain to keep people living here and working here? And how do we invest in our labor force and in workers and in our education system uh, to make sure that we, we do because we are competing for jobs now, not with, you know, not just within Newfoundland, Labrador and, and Canada, we're actually ending up competing with the rest of the world to find newcomers to come in to, uh, to uh, um, help with our population decline. But we also need to make every job a good job. And that's, uh, that's doable. But that that requires uh, that requires commitment from employers and, and from government to make sure that the labor laws uh, protect those workers. And so that that hasn't been happening, and there's been an erosion of that for many years. And the pandemic exposed it. And people, it's not that people don't want to go to work, not at all. It's that there, there's just a shortage of the jobs that allow them to be able to go to work uh, and pay their bills and feed their families. And that's just not happening uh, for a lot of people, especially in, in lower wage um, jobs that we see in retail and hospitality and tourism and the other ones. 
So it's, it's a mindset change, uh, which which has to happen every time the labor market goes through uh, a shortage or the population evolves. And so we need to uh, keep working hard to make sure that uh, those are the priority issues. One way of doing that, obviously, is by making sure that those labor laws uh, are strengthened and modernized to include all workers and to give workers basic uh, protection and rights on the job. The other way, of course, uh, is to make sure that unions have access, uh, people who want to have access to uh, to unionization. And over the years, uh, those uh, labor, labor relations laws have also been eroded. And in this province, in particular, it's, it's become harder and harder for workers who want to join unions to be able to join unions. And we know that unions um, are good for workers. Uh, they provide uh, uh, protection at work. They help raise uh, wages and working conditions. But unionization is also good for employers as well. Well, we're heading into another long holiday weekend or this holiday weekend with a number of workers who are going to be on the picket line. I'm sure they'd like to be anywhere else but there. Uh, I want to address that when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is the president of the Federation of Labor, Mary Shortle. This is the long Labor Day weekend. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back on On Target. A special hello to Corey listening to us in Grand Falls, Windsor. Hope you're feeling better, bud. Um, we are speaking with Mary Shortle, the president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Labor on this uh, Labor Day weekend. And, of course, we're going into the weekend, and there's a group of workers right now on the picket line, and I'm sure they'd rather be anywhere but. Uh, but that, that's where we are. We have the ongoing strike in Mount Pearl. We thought things were improving. It appears as though this could go longer now. A lot of people who have no control over negotiations who are involved in the dispute are negatively affected by this. Of course, a lot of families in Mount Pearl that make use of many uh, the many amenities there. What's your mes- message, um, Mary, to members of the public who are adversely affected by this uh, strike action? It's unfortunate that, you know, the members of the public continue to be um, placed in the position uh, of discomfort around this uh, or that they can't access the services that uh, they deserve uh, in Mount Pearl because uh, the labor dispute has gone on way longer than than it ought to. They're entering their third month now. It's been more than two months uh, since they've been on the picket line. It's unfathomable to me how uh, a municipal government can propose to begin with uh, demands on workers who have seen them through the worst of the worst, and not just the pandemic, but you know, snowstorms and all kinds of other issues, can propose things in a collective agreement that will uh, a two-tier system that will create uh, a, a, a lower a lower uh, working conditions for workers that come after them and and you know kudos to the to the 
the people who are on the picket line for standing firm on that. And they've made some movement on that from what I understand, but now the employer wants to discipline some of the uh, the picketing workers who uh, whose emotions run uh, very high during a labor dispute. Uh, my advice would be to the, the city of Mount Pearl to get back to the bargaining table and make it work. It's, it appears to me that, uh, you know, this is this is digging your heels in at a time when it's really not okay to do that. What it's, The workers have uh, bargained a collective agreement. They have the legal right to, to uh, negotiate that collective agreement. They have withdrawn their labor according to the, the, their rights to do that. Um, they're indicating they're willing to move on a whole lot of things, and I don't understand why they're still at a position where the employer is choosing now something uh, other than the, the issues at the bargaining table to dig their heels in. So uh, I think the frustration is real uh, with the pe- with the people uh, who live in Mount Pearl who, uh, who've uh, been very patient and very supportive uh, during this, this lengthy dispute, uh, but it needs to get settled, and I think that, that it's just uh, it's just not okay to let it prolong to this length of time over something like that. You mentioned emotions running high and the frustrations out there are real. We all know that. Uh, we've seen many, many labor disputes in the past where where things have gotten uh, emotional. Of course, this is people's livelihoods and, and people's lives are being disrupted on, on all sides. Um, are there other mechanisms that unions can use outside of strike action to, to you know, win the, the, the benefits that they're looking for? Well, I mean, this is this is legislation that you know it's enshrined in our labor laws what the collective bargaining process is, and uh, you know, years ago, many years ago, when unions uh, were first getting formed, workers used to exercise, used to walk away from the job whenever things weren't happening. You know, that there would be the president of the union would say something happened that's not fair, and everyone would lay down their tools and walk off the job. And over time, what evolved was a system uh, where there's only a certain window in the collective bargaining process uh, where you can exercise your right to strike or the employer exercises their right to lock workers out. So it's a very controlled uh, uh, process that happens. Um, I I think what's happened in this case and in many of the labor disputes that we have seen is that employers uh, are removing themselves from the collective bargaining process and they're bringing in corporate lawyers and others who sit down and bargain. And there's a different type of relationship then that develops. The employers kind of remove themselves from it. But when you're sitting down with your employers and you're bargaining a collective agreement and you're bargaining with the people who understand your work and you understand their work, it seems to me that it's a lot easier to work through the process. If it breaks down, there's a, a process of conciliation. It's all laid out in law how you uh, how you process through this. And removing uh, your labor or going on strike or being locked out is actually the, the ultimate last resort in the collective bargaining process. But it seems that more recently, uh, more employers are pushing that to the limit and workers have no choice then to withdraw their labor. In some cases, uh, workers are actually locked out, so the employer exercises the right, which is also something that 
never happened very often before more recently. Uh, so I think the, be- the best way to resolve that it, under the processes that we have is to sit down with the people who are engaged, the employers and the workers through their bargaining committees, and sit there and just iron it out using the media to uh, to talk about your issues, using corporate lawyers to dig in uh, where they have no personal, uh, they're getting paid by the hour, number one, and they don't have any personal stake in uh, in the outcome of this because they just move on to the next case after that has been seen as being uh, being something that's very detrimental to the process, and it hurts the process. I've been on that picket line many times since it started, and I know those workers want to get back to work. They love what they do. They're, they understand that it's, uh, it's making it uncomfortable for the people who they work with uh, in the city, and they really want to get back, but they also have a right uh, to not accept uh, any type of settlement at all. They have the right to negotiate a fair settlement, and uh, my understanding is they've been doing that. They do not want to create uh, a, a workplace where there's new workers coming in who will be treated less than than they are, uh, and they just want to get back to work. And I think it's time that the employer just sits there themselves and sits down with uh, uh, with workers and work it out. And I think that's very doable. It just uh, it just it's getting prolonged uh, unnecessarily at this point. My guest today on On Target is the president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Federation of Labor, Mary Shortle. And this is a time for reflection and celebration. And I want to touch on that a little bit when we come back after the break. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is President of the Federation of Labor for Newfoundland and Labrador, Mary Shortle. And Mary, um, it's been dominating headlines in the last day or so, and I, I needed to ask you because I'm sure you have uh, have some insight into this. But uh, we all know people are struggling. We saw the introduction, of course, of the sugar drink tax, and now we're looking at the possibility of more increases to the carbon tax. That's on top of soaring inflation and increases to the Bank of Canada's prime lending rate. It's coming from all directions now. Um, Should the federal government reconsider its plans for an increase to the carbon tax? Well, what I think what I think needs to happen around the federal government is the whole the whole issue of making life more affordable for people. And I think part of the narrative gets caught up in all of this when we talk about the sugar tax and and carbon taxes and, and stuff is is the fairness of the tax system and what we're seeing and what we're hearing is, uh, well, for example, the exemptions to the carbon tax are the people and the corporations who pollute the most. The uh, the uh, sugar tax is is a burden on lower wage uh, uh, people when we still have access to, no access to cheaper groceries and and healthier foods. So, so the position when we're talking quite generally about what we need to do to make life more affordable is that the people who can afford to pay the most should be paying the most. And the burden of this should not fall on working families and especially not uh, lower-wage working families. And so part of our... 
campaigns, I guess, that we run during the during the year uh, to governments and others is to do that. I mean, if you're hearing these extraordinary profits that oil companies are making, that grocery stores are making, and you see in the U.K., for example, where they put a 25 percent tax on corporations who make those big windfalls, especially the ones, uh, profits who made them, especially through the pandemic, then that money can be put back into strengthening our social safety net. And so it's not the carbon tax per se, or it's not the sugar tax per se, but working families then can understand that the people who make the most money are paying their fair share of it, especially the corporations on these big profits, these huge windfall profits. And that money is put back into that so that people can have life more affordable. If we had a pharmacare program where people wouldn't have to pay for their medication, when we get the childcare program where people have access to childcare for uh, little little money or no money, when you get uh, those programs put in place that protect people, uh, then that's that's what matters. That makes to make it important enough for people to be able to uh, pay for the things that they need to pay to raise their families and live here and have good jobs. When people make decent wages, when they're not uh, struggling to make ends meet, so I think those are the the bigger issues that uh, that we need to talk about. We know that there, you know, we are in a in a climate crisis as well, and we we also know that the, tomorrow's workforce is going to look a lot different than today's. And, and shouldn't we be sitting down with uh, with governments and employers and saying, okay, so what does that mean around our labor market? What does that mean about the jobs that matter to people? And how are people going to be able to afford to live here and work here and feed their families here? Uh, because we need them to stay in order to uh, fill the jobs that, that we have. So I think, Linda, there's, there's lots of questions um, that we can talk about or we can take specific issues like the carbon tax and, and look at how we break that down so that working families don't end up uh, paying the burden of that because there's too many people getting off getting off the hook for that and there's people uh, who can who can afford to uh, not get off the hook so I think it's about redirecting the priorities on those issues to make sure it's not the it's not uh, the working families and particularly the lower wage working families who are feeling extremely uh, vulnerable now and they're feeling extremely overwhelmed about all these increases in costs and how they're going to survive. So there's still a lot of uh, work that needs to be done naturally, but uh, there are a lot of things to celebrate as well and a lot of uh, victories over the years. Um, It's a time to reflect, celebrate, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Um, what 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 is your message now heading into this long holiday weekend? Well, we do need to uh, celebrate. I mean, we always say unions are the folks that bring you the weekends, and and there's been a lot of gains made uh, through struggle. Uh, Nothing has ever really been handed to working people. Everything we can trace back. Uh, to the the things that we uh, that make us more comfortable in life now have been taken through the struggle of people uh, either as individuals but mostly through the organizations like unions and so we need to remember that when we're together uh, our voices as one we're stronger and together there's a, a a lot of things we can do after we celebrate the accomplishments of working people everywhere but we also need to commit to building a fairer society and to maintain um, because workers' workers' rights uh, can be legislated away very easily by 
by political decisions that countries make and provinces make and governments make and employers make. So I think what we need to do is to assure uh, what the Federation of Labour would like to do, ensure workers, not just the unionized workers, but workers in our province, that we're there uh, to continue our fight for uh, equity, pay equity, other stronger labor laws, programs and policies that make our life fairer and that uh, you know we invite people to join us and uh, we, we have workers back here, but it is a struggle and we will continue to do that uh, because uh, workers deserve uh, that. And we know that, like I said at the beginning, our economy cannot work without workers. And so uh, we're committed to uh, to making sure that we continue to fight that and asking people and organizations to join us as we do that. So we've got the resumption of the Labor Day Parade in Grand Falls, Windsor. That's a bit of a big deal. Uh, um, uh, we're also going to have lots of people who are going to be uh, sparking up the barbecue and spending time with family and heading out to the cabin and just putting their feet up and enjoying. What's your message? I think that's that's exactly that's exactly what you said. That people will find different ways of of relaxing and celebrating, and of course, a lot of uh, a lot of essential and frontline workers will continue to work and provide those services on Labor Day. Uh, proof positive that you know the world needs workers. Uh, people should take this time and enjoy enjoy the, their ability to be able to take a day off and spend it with their families and loved ones. Stay safe uh, and uh, celebrate uh, celebrate all things workers. And uh, tomorrow uh, or Tuesday when we get back to work, we'll, we'll just continue to make sure that, uh, that workers uh, stay protected and the laws uh, are there to protect them and their families and keep them safe. Mary Shortle, I thank you very much. Enjoy your long holiday, Labor Day weekend, and uh, stay safe, everybody. Um, we're going to uh, go out with a little bit of a song, Mary, if you don't mind. Uh, Billy Bragg and Wilco from the album Mermaid Avenue. Woody Guthrie, of course, a big advocate for uh, workers' rights, uh, penned this little tune. It's one of my favorites. California stars. Have a great Labor Day weekend, everyone.